0: At some point, I start to think about something that I'd never thought about before. I don't want to do this or be here anymore. Not like this. (laughs) ¶¶ Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, aren't very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations, and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, we're talking about suicide, so this may not be a good fit for everybody, so please Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I would love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And I want to thank everybody who's joined me here on the podcast and all of you who listen. I really appreciate it. And if you can, let folks know about this podcast if you aren't doing that already. Folks that might need to hear it, share it on social media. If you listen on Apple, rating and reviewing it also helps a lot. I really, really appreciate it. In fact, this week, I don't have a guest to talk to. I've got a couple lined up for this week, but I actually don't have an episode in which I'm talking to a suicide attempt survivor this week. And at first, I was kind of bummed out by that because we have this sort of consecutive streak since last July. I've never missed a week. In the beginning, for the first few months, we did it twice a week, and now it's once a week. And I prided myself on finding people and creating a space for them to share their story, and then get it out to you on Mondays. And look, I know that there are a lot of people out there struggling, and most people don't know about this podcast, and those that do, they listen sometimes or regularly, and I am so grateful for that. And also grateful to everybody who has trusted me to share their stories, uh, knowing that the suicide attempt rate, as far as the most recent figures I found, are not going down. And our listenership is going up. I'm Wondering what's happening, and are people thinking twice before they join me? And I get it either way, and I respect it either way. Just something I'm thinking aloud and sharing with you. But I do understand 100% why you don't want to share this stuff. I would also encourage you, if you trust me, uh, when the time is right, to join me on the podcast and and talk about it. Because I promise you, there are people out there who need to hear it. In as much as you're comfortable doing so. So as I record this, it's Sunday night here in North Carolina. And like I said, I don't have any interviews to edit and share with you. I'm going to do something that I've not done before. Now, some of you may know in another part of my life, something I do a lot of is personal narrative story. I produce events and I teach workshops and I do my own story stuff as well. I tell stories I kind of kept those two worlds separate, and I've been trying to think about, hey, maybe there's space in the world of suicide, be it from suicide attempt survivors or other people who have been affected by it, to tell their stories, and that's still something I'm thinking about and exploring. Uh, But for today, because I don't have an attempt survivor story to share with you, I don't have an interview or a conversation to share with you, I'm going to share a story. And this is a story I wrote some time ago and recently told it at one of our main stage events here. And this was actually in person. We've had a few in-person events here in the Chapel Hill and Durham, North Carolina area. The name of the organization is GRIT. Tagline is True Stories That Matter. And like I said, I typically keep those worlds separate. I, I never want anybody to think that I'm doing this this podcast for any other reason than what it is. But I wanted to share that with you because it is part of my life. And some people have asked, like, Sean, why don't you talk a little bit more about your life? And so what I want to do is tell you a story, a personal narrative story uh, about my friend Jimmy. And I'm not going to say much more than that because you will hear more about him and me and our relationship in the story. But I will tell you, that he is one of the reasons why I got involved in this work, even though his death was many years ago. Uh, And he's somebody that, despite losing him many years ago, I still think about often and is in my heart and my mind sometimes when I am talking with suicide attempt survivors. He really does sort of inform and influence the way I operate in this space. I will always be grateful for our friendship. And so sit back, relax. Here's a story. I'm sitting on my bed, and I am wondering how I am going to get through this. How is all of this going to turn out? And then I open the box, this blue box, and I see Jimmy. These old photos of Jimmy, my best friend, who killed himself. When I learned about his suicide, I asked myself a question that I think most people ask themselves when they learn about stuff like this. Why? Why does somebody with good friends and a close family, why does somebody with a job they like and a new girlfriend, why does somebody so young kill himself? I I meet Jimmy in Buffalo freshman year of college. Uh, Jimmy and I become friends. We become close friends really fast. The kind of friends that I actually visit his childhood home over winter break back on Long Island where we're both from. Jimmy's the guy who has a lot of friends. He's got a big smile and this infectious laugh. And I don't have a lot of friends like that. I actually don't have any friends like that. Back in Buffalo that April of our second semester. I went to his dorm room like I always would go to his dorm room. I knock on the door and his roommate answers. You know, I say, hey, where's Jimmy? And his roommate says he's gone. And I say, what do you mean he's gone? The door is partially open. I can look in and most of his stuff isn't there. I find out from a mutual friend. Uh, we think he's back on Long Island, but he doesn't say why. There's no cell phones or social media or email. I do have his home phone number. I call his home. You know, I want to ask him, Jimmy, why don't you say goodbye, man? Why don't you even write me a note? Tell me what's going on. Nobody answers the phone, and I don't leave a message. I assume he doesn't want to talk. I didn't really know what to say. And that's that. And the spring semester ends. I go back home to Long Island. I'm assuming Jimmy doesn't want to hang out or see me. I imagine he would have reached out if he did. But I do want to hang out with him. I miss him. And I drive to his home. I had gone to his home that winter break. I remembered where he lived. I knock on the door. And there's Jimmy, and it's awkward, and he smiles because that's what Jimmy does, and we talk. And I want to ask him why, but I don't. I'm just glad to have Jimmy back. And then all summer, we hang out almost every day. We're like best friends again, but even more. Then I leave. I transfer from Buffalo to Florida for school, and Jimmy stays home for school. And after school, after college, I go to Atlanta For work and Jimmy goes to New York City for work as a police officer. Then I moved to Japan to teach. Now, this is eight years of being best friends, despite the distance. Now I'm in Japan and I've been there for over a year teaching English as a second language. And it's November and I have not been back home for more than a year. And I and I come back for a family wedding. And of course I'm gonna hang out with Jimmy. I mean, that's what I always do when I come back from wherever I am, always it's Jimmy. But Jimmy's gone. He's not around. And I'm wondering, Jimmy, why are you not answering your phone? Or why, are you, you know, why aren't you calling me back? Why aren't we hanging out? And then I get a call. It's Jimmy. And again, I want to ask him why, Jimmy, but I don't. I'm just glad to have Jimmy back. And we're hanging out my final night. He comes over to my child at home. And I've invited him over to watch these VHS tapes I've made from my life in Japan. And I'm sitting on the living room floor, and he's behind me on the couch. Normally, Jimmy would be excited about this kind of thing. He'd be asking questions, cracking jokes, but he doesn't do any of that. He's not saying anything. And at some point, I look back, and his eyes are closed. Not entirely closed, but mostly closed. He's still just sitting there, and I don't know how long he's been this way. And I'm wondering if he's sleeping, and I'm thinking, Jimmy, why are you... Why are you sleeping? I haven't seen you in over a year. And then I noticed something. It's his hair. Jimmy has this great head of hair, jet black, perfectly manicured. I do not. I have the opposite of that hair. So I loved his hair, but tonight, as I'm looking at him, his eyes mostly closed, something's different. His hair, it's uneven. Which sounds weird, I know, but... It's just not like him. I give him a little nudge, I wake him up and we're on the top of my driveway and I know he's got to go. He's got an early start at the precinct, and I can tell something's not right. but I know he's got a family, he's got friends, he's got a girlfriend and he'll be he'll be okay. and I don't know what to say, but I want to give him some options. so I say, "Hey, Jimmy, why don't you come to Japan?" I mean, I can get you a job teaching. We'll meet some girls. It'll be fun. There's this pause, and he smiles because that's what Jimmy does. And he says, yeah, think about it. And we hug, and he leaves. And I return to Japan. And about a week later, it's almost Thanksgiving, I get a call. It's my mother. She says, it's about Jimmy. And I know. She reads me this newspaper article. That's how she learned one bullet, self-inflicted. And just like that, he's gone. And our friendship, more than eight years of it, is frozen. And I want to ask him why, but of course I can't. Now, I'd like to tell you this is when everything changed, losing my best friend like this, but it didn't. When I came back from Japan, I visited his grave with his dad, and I thought about him a lot, and I missed him. sometimes. He'd even visit me in my dreams when I slept. Usually he'd be smiling. But at some point, Jimmy and all of his stuff went into a box, a blue cigar box. Jimmy and all of his stuff, the letters, the postcards, the photographs. And my life went on. And now I'm living in New York City and I'm teaching. It's been about five years since Jimmy died. And I get sick, and it's the kind of sick that I've never been able to describe or explain. It's the kind of sick that comes and goes. They call it intermittent or episodic. It's the kind of sick where most doctors think I'm either faking it or it must be something psychosomatic, doctor after doctor. Most of them either don't believe me or don't know how they can help. And most of the conversations suck. And this goes on not for a couple of months, but for a couple of years. And then more, more doctors and fewer friends. I'm losing friends. It's harder to keep my job. I can never do anything fun. No one knows what it is, where it came from, or how long I'll have it. And there's no name. I'd like to tell you this is when everything changed, but it didn't. Losing your best friend and getting sick, a kind of sick that lasts for many years. Yeah, that changes you. But there was more to come. At some point, I start to think about something that I'd never thought about before. I don't want to do this or be here anymore. Not like this. Did I want to die? I don't know. I certainly didn't want to be in pain. And I didn't see that ending. And sometimes I would think about how I was going to do it. How I was going to end my life. And in those moments, I'd always see Jimmy. Sticking that gun in his mouth. And I would get that. I'd understand that coming that close. Now, I didn't have a gun, and that's not what I thought about for me. I'd think about standing on a chair with a rope around my neck, or at the edge of a tall building, or maybe a razor blade in a warm bath. I'd always stop myself, always. But he didn't. And now I'm sick for three years, and Jimmy's been gone for eight years. He's been gone as long as we were friends. And I need to leave New York. I've got to move. I've got to go somewhere. Because I can't keep living in this city, feeling this way. And I'm sitting on my bed. And I'm wondering how I'm going to get through this. How I'm going to make this work. And then I open that box. That blue cigar box. And I see Jimmy. His hair... That smile, as strange as it sounds, in that moment, feeling like shit, seeing my best friend, I get it. I think I get why now. I don't know why it took me so long, but I get it. Pain. That simple. Not a toothache kind of pain or a sprained ankle kind of pain, the kind of pain that has you take a loaded weapon and walk into a precinct bathroom stall and eat your gun. That's what they call it, an all-caps kind of pain. When I tasted that kind of pain, even a little bit, well, that's when everything changed. Because I stopped asking why and started asking how. Not how he ended his life, that I know, but how he was able to live for so long in that kind of pain, sometimes even with a smile. Thanks for listening to that story a coda, or a postscript. When you create a story, you craft and tell a story, particularly these big kinds of stories, ones that span a long time or are dealing with certain kinds of things. Like this one deals with, it can be really challenging. You've got to make all of these choices. And in doing that, you're leaving a lot out. You have no choice or it would be hours and hours long. But if there's anything I ever share, whether it's this story or anything else, and you want to learn more or have questions, reach out to me. Facebook, Twitter, at Suicide Noted. The email is hello at suicidenoted.com. I'm happy to share more about him, our relationship, his struggles, and as much as I'm aware of them. Or mine. I will share whatever I can, whatever I know. My friendship with Jimmy and losing Jimmy, even though it was many years ago, is a big reason why I was drawn to do this kind of work. Certainly, my own experiences with depression and anxiety, and just feeling shitty for a long time. Up until this moment, it hasn't changed that much, though the podcast has helped. All of it helps me do what I do. One message to you, to my listeners, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever state or condition you are in. And you know, if you listen to the podcast, I'm hesitant to share things like this. Careful here not to pontificate, Or say the shit that I can't stand hearing when people say to me. What you deal with every day. Whether it has a name or not. Whether it is with you every moment or not. Takes a certain level of courage and grit and heart just to stick it out. And keep going. And I fucking know that. And I appreciate you for that. And I do want you to know, as corny or cliche as this sounds, you are not alone. And those words may mean absolutely nothing to you and not help at all. I don't know. But what I do want you to know is that if nothing else, there are some people out there in the world somewhere who get it, even a little bit. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I will talk to you soon.